All right. So, well, um, some of you have heard me say that when I was younger, I was kind of a shy, quiet kid. I wanted to clarify that a little bit because what I mean by that is when I was especially in high school and even younger ages, when I would get up and meet somebody for the first time, like Justin was talking about, when you meet someone new, you're around new people, my biggest problem was taking that first step to say, hi, my name's Nick, how are you? Like that introductory phase. It was easier for me when there's new people around just to kind of be quiet and wait for someone else to like introduce us, someone else to kind of build that bridge and make that connection. And so I had a tough time kind of initiating that contact. But whenever I was with my family, when I was with people I knew pretty well, I tended to be the opposite of quiet. My family would tell you that I was not even remotely close to quiet, that I wouldn't stop talking because I was a bit of a storyteller. Whenever I would get up uh, and hang out with my family and we would have something new or an exciting going on, I tended to tell the entire story. Whenever I had seen a new movie, I would tend to sit next to a relative and recount every detail to the of the movie to a point where I once remember my uncle kind of saying, well, I guess I don't have to see that one now. Um, I would, uh, you know, get excited about a different story that happened while we were out and about. Something funny happened and I would tell you every detail of every little thing that happened and it was like you were there. Or when someone else was trying to tell the story, I might butt in and go, no, 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 you forgot this part. And would correct them on the details. It's kind of fun. This is something that Elia has inherited from me somehow. I feel like I'm a little better at this point in my life, but maybe not. Because, you know, you look at your kids and you see some of your own habits and you go, oh, good, they're like me. And now I get to listen to the stories a lot too. And all of the details of every little thing, right? Yeah, good. And so I, I, I like stories. I like trying to recreate that moment and telling this big elaborate story with all the wonderful details because when something exciting happens, you want other people to feel like they were there too, right? I got so much out of that moment. I got such a good laugh out of that that I want to recount all of the good details that made it so special and meaningful for me, right? So if I can convey all of those details and all of those wonderful pieces of the story to you, it kind of gives you that sense of feeling like you were there too, right? And so that sharing of stories is something as a culture that I don't think is just important to me. I think it's important to all of us. In fact, if you watch TV and you stick around in between the shows uh, for the commercials, you'll kind of notice that even our advertising companies have picked up on how important story is to us. Because instead of some guy just sitting up here saying, hey, this is the best deodorant in town, there's this story of someone who needs the deodorant for some reason. This this little two-minute, not even two minutes, like 30-second commercial that tells a story that leads up. And sometimes we're left going, that was a really stupid story. And other times we're going, that was really clever. Wow, that was really emotional. There was a couple of years ago during the Super Bowl, I was just depressed because every commercial was this really serious narrative. And I'm going, wow, I'm really sad. Um, we incorporate storytelling into so much because we find it easier to connect with a story we understand, a story that puts us into a moment that we weren't a part of, a story that helps us realize the value of something else. It stirs up a lot of emotion. It stirs up a lot of feeling in us. And we can relate to stories by movies and books. And so many things do so well. We like narrative and story. And we've been talking for the last several weeks uh, last quite a few weeks about these building blocks that we want to build on as a church 
And we've been kind of settling into this topic of community. How do we build a community? How do we build a body that works together the way that God intended it to work? In the last couple weeks, I know we've hit it a little rougher because we initially started saying it's important for us to be a body. One body, but with many parts. And those many parts are important because we weren't meant to walk through this life alone. But for us, in order for us to be effective as a community, as a body, it got a little rough when we started talking about the fact that we need to be vulnerable. That we have to be able to live in light and, and expose the, the sin and the struggle and the heartache and the brokenness that exists so that we can walk through it and allow Christ to, to transform us and change us and redeem us and do all that work in our hearts that he needs to. And last week we talked about how do we create a vulnerable culture if we're not safe to talk to. If, we're afraid, if we make other people afraid that we'll instantly condemn them for the things that they say that are different than the way we feel. And this week, I wanted to lighten up the tone a little bit, because I know those last few weeks have been a little heavy. But I want to talk about how important it is for us as a community, not only to bear with each other's burdens and carry the, the heavy stuff that comes with vulnerability, carrying the sin and the heartache and the weight of, of the difficult things, but that passage that we looked at in Romans says, weep with those who weep, but also rejoice with those who rejoice, Right? There is a side of our community that's very important that we sometimes forget and miss out on that is the simple fact that we're meant to spur one another on, to encourage each other, to lift each other up, to be a support system that also not just listens, which is also very important, but also shares. And we're going to talk a little bit about what it means and what it looks like for us to share the good work that God has done in our lives in such a way that we can build one another up and continue to fuel the fire that allows us to be productive and accomplish the work that God has set us to. And so we're going to look at his word for that in just a moment, but it, as usual, I would ask you to just bow your heads and pray with me before we turn to the word this morning. Father, I love you, and I am thankful for your word. I am thankful for your presence. I am thankful for the relationship that you offer us. I am thankful for the good news that says that you destroyed the power of sin you conquered it in such a way that we no longer have to make sacrifices or do different things to try to enter into your presence father but you allowed us access directly into your presence this morning and so we know that through your son through the gift of the holy spirit we have access to hear your voice this morning and to be transformed and renewed by your word and so, Father, we just claim that promise and ask that you meet with us, ask that you allow us to hear your voice this morning and continue to draw us near to you as we draw near, that you would pull in near to us and speak into our ears and, and speak into our hearts and just make us that new creation that begins to look more like you than like our old selves. We love you. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. So I want to turn, uh, if you want to go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 10. And we're going to start there this morning. So I want to set this precedent a little bit. I, I think that God absolutely cares about what we remember. And absolutely cares about the way that we share our stories and the good news of the work that he's done in our lives. I think Exodus chapter 10 is a fantastic example of one of those established moments where God says, this is really important. This is a really big deal, and I do not want you to forget about it. I want you to create a culture where you're sharing and remembering what I've done for you. Because Exodus, we, 
if we look back at the earlier chapters, is this buildup of the story of the Israelite people who have found themselves in Egypt because of the story of Joseph and, and all of the things in Genesis that Joseph did, to, the, God, the ways God used him to protect Egypt and protect his family. The Israelites are now in Egypt, but they've grown in great number. Pharaoh doesn't recognize Joseph and what he did for the country anymore. And now they've grown out of control. Their numbers are vast and, and it's scaring the Egyptians. And so they've kind of enslaved them and they're oppressing them and they're forcing them to build all these wonders that we would love to go see around the world, these pyramids and all these structures. And they're, they're making them uh, build or make bricks out of uh, straw and clay and all of this stuff. And they're forcing them into this difficult labor to keep them oppressed and to keep them under control so that their population doesn't get out of control and they don't rise up and revolt against Egypt. They're fearful of these people. And so they're, they're crying out in their oppression, and God hears their call, and he sends Moses to go rescue them. And in this process, Moses has been told, you're going to go, and you're going to go before Pharaoh, and you're going to say, let my people go. And he, he's not going to do it, so I'm going to give you signs and wonders. And he gives them Time after time, every time Pharaoh's heart is hardened, another plague. We start with this plague where water turns to blood. We see other plagues where there's infestations of gnats and frogs and locusts. There's hail, there's boils. There's so many difficult things that plague the Egyptian people, that plague the land, that have little to no effect on the Israelite people. God is protecting his people in this process. And yet here we get to Exodus chapter 10, and this event is about to start. There's something that's about to take place. And God is preparing the people. And he, he kind of starts this one all off a little different than he has the others. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh. Oh, sorry, I said 10. I meant 12. My bad. Memory thing. 12. Sorry, flip that page over. Scratch what I said. It's an even number. Easily confused. All right. Starting in verse or chapter 12, and y'all might think, oh, that makes a whole lot more sense. All right. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. From now on, this, this month is going to be the beginning of months. This is going to be the start of your year. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, Every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can, or can eat, and shall make your count for the lamb. Now, your lamb should be without blemish, a male, a year old. So there's very specific guidelines for this lamb. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. This story continues to progress, and he continues to establish exact guidelines for how they're to prepare for this 10th plague. But God isn't just establishing a, here's what you do to protect yourselves. He is absolutely doing that, because ultimately what he ends up doing is saying, you're going to sacrifice, all of you, on the 14th day at twilight, you're going to sacrifice this lamb. And you're going to take the blood from this lamb that was sacrificed, and you're going to spread it on the doorposts of your home, on the sides and on the top. And that's going to be a mark and a symbol that you're covered by this blood, and now Whenever we, God sweeps across Egypt, the firstborn son of each family is going to die. There will be wailing, there will be great weeping, there will be great mourning all throughout Egypt. 
but not amongst the Israelite people because they are protected and covered by this sacrificial blood. And we see these amazing connections when we think about the Passover and we think about Jesus and the sacrifice he made. And we can see some of this imagery and how important it is in terms of the blood providing this way out. But something else is happening here. This meal is being described in great detail, not just for this one moment, but there's specific instruction. When you eat this meal, every year you're going to do this. Every year on this first month, on the 10th day, you'll select the lamb. On the 14th day, you'll sacrifice this lamb. Here's what you're to do. You're supposed to have this meal, this gathering. He goes on to describe the unleavened bread and the the ceremony and all the process of sweeping the leaven out of the house All of this detail for this ritual that continues to remind God's people year after year after year of what God is doing in this moment. There's a really big thing I'm about to accomplish in your life. It is going to be something that only can be credited to God himself. Nothing you can take credit for. Only something God could have accomplished. It is going to be an amazing sign of what power I have in your life and I need you to remember I need you to remember how much I've accomplished through this moment in your life. To the point where you're going to meet every year with your family. You're going to meet with other people. You're going to gather together. And you're going to have conversations. And you're going to tell stories. And the purpose of this meal, the purpose of this, is so that generation after generation after generation will continue to hear what God accomplished in these people's lives in this moment. Rescuing them from Egypt. Because as the story continues, this All happens. The blood is spread. They share in this meal. God comes through. And the firstborn of each of Egypt's families and their cattle and their livestock and everything are are dead. And Pharaoh's had enough. He's like, get out of here. Leave. Now. Now he eventually changes his mind and starts chasing after them. And God does an amazing feat when he parts the Red Sea and the people escape on dry ground. And all of a sudden the waters crash back in on Pharaoh. God delivers and rescues his people in this moment. But I want you to kind of hear this heart of what God is establishing in chapter 12. He's establishing a meal that will continue to be shared and passed down from generation to generation. I can only imagine, I've, I've shared a lot of meals with family. Anybody ever have like Thanksgiving dinners or Christmas dinners or, or one of my favorites I specifically remember? My great grandmother, I had the privilege of knowing for a good large portion of my life. My great-grandmother was uh, 95, I believe, when she passed. That was about 11 years ago. The math may be a little off there, but it's roughly in that ballpark. She was passed away about a year before Elia was born. And I still remember my last good visit. She eventually got lung cancer. Before she got lung cancer, you wouldn't have known that she was in her 90s because she could outrun me, probably. Um, she just went and went and went and had such uh, health and life and And just this wonderful spirit and presence about her. And she's an amazing person I love dearly. But I remember my last good visit with Grandma. We sat down, and Grandma liked bluegill. She loved to fish. She was an avid fisherman and loved to eat the fish that she caught. And somebody had fried up bluegill for her. But Grandma was kind of odd in the sense that she didn't want it all deboned. And so we're sitting there, like, picking meat out between bluegill bones. And if you know anything about that, that's like a delicate, fiddly process. (laughs) But here we are sitting at her kitchen table visiting and talking and I'm hearing stories and I'm just enjoying this presence in this moment of somebody I care about deeply and I'm hearing 
parts of her life and stories of her life and memories from her life as we share a meal together. The same thing is true of other family get-togethers where people start to reminisce and talk. And do you remember that one time when we were all here? Maybe it's old friends from high school you haven't seen in a long time. And you sit down for the first time in forever and people start recounting and retelling. And you remember those things as you laugh and as you talk and as you sit around a meal. God understands this design that he put in us for community where we all share in our experiences and our moments and we remember the good things that have happened to us. And this is the same thing he's accomplishing and creating in this. I want you to sit down and I want you to have a meal. If this lamb is too much for your family, invite other families in. Share in this moment in community and remember together what I did. And as you tell these stories, your children will hear them. And then, you ever had a kid who, like, you told them a story they really liked? And they're like, read this book, Daddy. I'm like, okay, I'll read it again. Read this book, Daddy. Okay, I'll read it again. And, you, like, you have that book in your house that's just falling apart because you've read it 150 times. Because kids, when they latch onto these stories, love to hear them over and over and over again. And when you hear this amazing story, wow, Mom, what happened? Grandma and Grandpa, what happened? And eventually there comes a point where they cross into the promised land and the original people who were a part of this moment, this exodus from Egypt, are no longer a part of this picture. They're not allowed to enter the promised land, only their children. But they've heard this story from their parents and their grandparents so many times that they continue to tell their children. And in the gospel, we see Jesus sitting down with his disciples at a Passover meal. The Passover meal where they're sharing that same remembrance. They are celebrating that same festival, that same thing. They're sitting in the upper room at the Passover meal, sharing the cup, sharing the bread. There's other food at this table. And yet Jesus takes these emblems that are part of this meal and says, from now on, here's what you used to remember. Each one of these pieces of this meal are associated with certain elements of that exodus from Egypt. And they're to remind the people of what God did. But Jesus says, from now on, when you take this, I want you to remember me. I'm the one who's rescuing you. You were in slavery to something far worse than Egypt. And I'm going to set you free from it. Not through a lamb's blood, but through my blood. The cup of redemption that he holds. From now on, when you drink this, you do it in remembrance of me. And we celebrate that every morning in remembrance of me when we gather at the table. But here's the trick. The way we take communion nowadays, when we gather together, as the body is a little different than Jesus and his disciples. We've seen the famous picture that's painted where they're all sitting on one side of the table in a straight line looking forward. And I think that we latched onto that because we, a lot of times we sit in a straight line and share in this meal together. And we sit in our own rows, in our own private moments, thinking about what Jesus did. But the important piece of what is to be remembered is something we're missing out on often. I'm not, I'm not saying we do communion wrong. I'm not cha- I, I am simply saying the heart of what God wants us to do is still lying here in the midst of this Old Testament story and this New Testament way of doing things. And I want us to hear and understand what we're meant to be as a body when we gather. Because the peace that was also so important is not just the remembering, but the sharing and the celebrating together. The passing down of the story of what God has accomplished in our lives. And we can gather together every Sunday and recount the story of the crucifixion. We absolutely can. And it's beneficial and it's good. 
eventually, when we hear a story over and over and over again, we can recite all of it. But does it have that same impact it did on us that first time? When it was full of excitement and joy and newness? And I think sometimes we sit and we listen to the same story and we talk through the same ideas over and over and over again, and they become very commonplace. They become very basic knowledge that we all understand. And some of the value and significance for some of us, we may allow it to just become commonplace. And the question is, when we gather together, what are we supposed to be talking about? What are we supposed to be remembering? What are we supposed to be sharing? What good news and new stories and narratives and things are we supposed to be celebrating together? And I simply think it's this. When God works in our hearts, when he redeems us and rescues us, it's not for the sole purpose of giving us an eternity with him. So now that I've achieved this, now that I've accomplished this, all is well. I'll sit back and wait for my, my plane, right? I'll sit back and wait for my ride home because I've got my ticket and I'm ready to go. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. He didn't redeem us so we could sit around and wait for eternity. He redeemed us so that we could then share the gospel and the good news that would redeem others, that we could continue the good work, go and make disciples. He did this great work in us so that we could participate in his mission of spreading that good news and allowing others to be transformed through the good works of his sacrifice in their lives. And the way we do that is by continuing to share the story of how he is at work in our lives, not just how he once was at work in our lives, but how he is continually growing me and building me up and helping me to become who he wants me to be. I want you to turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10, which is probably where I got my chapter 10 earlier. That makes sense. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, there's a, a passage that I think we're familiar with pieces of. We, we hear it and we think about it because we say, we're, we're always supposed to be gathering together. We can't give up. We're on meeting together. We should be a body meeting together on a regular basis. And that's where this comes from. But listen to some of the other passages and the words that are around this. I'm going to start in verse 19 of chapter 10 in Hebrews. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, that same blood that he sacrificed for us, we have confidence to enter into this place, to enter into his presence, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. When he died on the cross in his flesh, when he made that sacrifice, the curtain was torn. Now we have the opportunity to enter into his presence, right? Verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Jesus himself, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see to the day drawing near. These words that are written here, let me recap a couple of them here. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Confession, the sharing of the hope that we have. Why do we have the hope we have? Let me tell you about it. 
and I continue to share. Here's where I was. When I first showed up here on the first Sunday I preached, I shared a lot of my story with you. It was only a few chunks and pieces. There's so much more to the story that I could recount and tell of how God moved in my life and brought me from here to here, point A to point B, worked through this period of my life, helped me through this struggle with my parents' divorce, helped me through this struggle with a close friend, helped me to learn what it actually means to make a disciple when one of my friends turned away, when they just felt like a project and that I didn't actually care about them. I learned so many different things, and there's so many different stories, and honestly, I'm going to be up here a lot, so you'll probably get tired of many of them. I get it, because I'll probably repeat several. But imagine if we showed up every week and gathered every week, not just to hear Nick recount his stories, not just so Nick could stand up and be the encouragement this week, give us our weekly dose of scripture so that we can go back out vaccinated into a dirty world and make it another week in this mess until we get called home. But what if we gathered every week sharing and reminding each other of why we're here in the first place? What is the hope that brought us to where we are today and continuing to share in all the things that he accomplished in us this last week? I haven't seen you since last Sunday. What has God been doing in your life? Man, I've been studying and here's the book I've been studying and here's how he made this passage come to life. And man, I'm just falling in love with his word. I'm falling in love with him. What if those were the conversations we were having? Because then I'm excited. I'm going, wow, what is it? Show me. And you start to share this passage of scripture and I start to grow because of what God is showing to you. And I'm encouraged and I'm spurred on towards more good works. And I want to read more because you're getting so much out of it. What if I show up this week and say, man, the Holy Spirit did this awesome thing the other day. I was, I was in this place and there were these people and there's this stuff going on. And the Holy Spirit said, go and do this. And he spoke into my heart and I did. And here's what happened. And here's what God accomplished because I listened to his spirit moving in my life. I get excited, I hear that story, and I want the Holy Spirit at work in my life in the same way. And I hear the words of God's body active and participating in his mission, and it encourages me. It fuels me towards more. Not wanting to sit back and wait, but to get in on the project. Get in on the call and the mission. I want to get in on what we're supposed to be about, what we're supposed to be doing in this relationship that transforms and changes And the stories of the people around us spur us on to something better. We can gather together and we can remember and we can gather together and we can learn from the word and that's all great. But do not give up on meeting together is part of this. And it says, let us consider how we can stir one another up to love and good works. How can we push each other forward? Not how can we listen to one person who tells us what to do or how to see this or how to understand that but how can we spur one another on when we meet together not just in saying how was your week good that new truck looks sharp yeah i know i like it oh man that new baby that's fantastic we have a new baby this week that's super exciting news right chad and jenny hacker very cool stuff and we're excited about that stuff but if that's the only conversation we have this week if god is just limited to good news of daily life are we limiting the power of what he could be accomplishing through us We want to celebrate and rejoice with those who rejoice in the wonderful gift of God's miracle of child, a child coming into the world. That is amazing news. And I don't want to belittle that. It's fantastic. But I don't want that to be the only miracle we experience on a weekly basis. I don't want that to be the only life-transforming thing that we see happening. And if we're on our knees and we're in His Word and we're leaning on His Spirit and we're dependent on His Spirit, 
God is going to be at work. And I don't want, <laughs> like, I love talking to Justin about the stuff he's doing. I love that he was up here sharing about that kind of stuff this morning. But if you listen to what God's doing in his life each week, if you hear the stories of what he's using Justin to do, you're encouraged and you're kind of, get energized and excited because sometimes it sounds a little scary. And he might tell you, you, know, you don't want to come with me down here to this time and this, ta- this place and this day. But at the same time, maybe God's got his own mission field, his own place for you to be doing the similar kind of work, to lo- rely on the Spirit in a similar sort of way. And those stories can encourage you, to find the, or encourage you in such a way that you gain the courage you need to step out into your own ministry and your own mission. How are we spurring one another on? And when we are acting in that way, when we are sharing in testimony, what are we passing on to that next generation? What are kids hearing from us? Do they simply hear us say, it was a good Sunday, good job, way to go, we had a good time, and then we move on and we just continue to live like the rest of the world lives and do our own thing, then what are they going to do? What are they learning from us in terms of what it means to follow Christ, what it means to let him work in us? What are they learning from our actions and our lives, not just our words? Because actions speak so much louder than words. And the, the point of what God's doing, and he doesn't just do it in the Passover meal. There are so many different reminders that God establishes throughout Scripture. When they actually cross into the promised land, he tells Joshua to set up a pillar of stones one for each of the tribes of Israel to remind them of how he's actually brought them to his fulfillment of his promise. There's so many other moments where he says, build an altar here, set up this festival or this ceremony as a reminder to you of what I've accomplished. When we look at the New Testament, New Testament, we hear Peter and Paul and some of these guys sharing in the book of Acts and other scriptures. They're not just preaching a sermon where they say this, this, this. They're usually recounting the story of what God has done in this world to redeem and rescue us. And here specifically, Paul says, I was one of the worst sinners. Listen to me when I tell you I was persecuting the church. I was stoning people. But look, I've suffered. I've been through a lot of stuff. I was shipwrecked. I experienced this. I experienced this. But look what he did. All throughout Scripture, we see this narrative and this story coming together. And when we pass those stories down and we allow that generation after generation after generation will not only hear, but they will also see that God is active and at work. And we can be an encouragement to lift each other up and press on towards better things, to press on towards fulfillment of the mission we've been called to. What are we sharing with the next generation? What are we sharing? What are people seeing? When we sit around and talk with our kids, what are they learning? Are they just learning from the same handful of people that volunteer every week downstairs? I remember when I was a kid, um, and I know I grew up in a different kind of tradition and background and is Nazarene church. I still remember several of the testimonies. We would usually have a time, not every week, but from time to time where the pastor would stand up and he'd say, does anybody just want to share what good stuff God's been doing in your life? And some weeks, maybe one or two people say something, and we'd kind of move on. And then other weeks, I still remember Harvey. Harvey was this guy who was fun. He taught me that you don't need, like, the smallest two toes on your foot because he accidentally shot his off with a shotgun one time. He said they're not really that important. Um, He lived without them for a really long time. He imparted a lot of good wisdom on me like that. But we always cut up and had a great time, and I had such a wonderful relationship with Harvey, and I loved he and his wife, Patty. They were amazing amazing examples in my life and I still remember Pat or Harvey standing up with that big bellowy voice that he had 
in tears, pouring out his love and devotion to his God when we would stand up and have times of testimony. And this man, who was a tough guy who didn't need his little toes on his foot, sharing through emotion how much he loved his Savior and what God had done in his life or in his family that week. I still remember the testimony of other members of our church and people that I would hear stand up, and sometimes that service would go, and another person would share, and another person would share, and another person would share, and once one person would share, it would encourage someone else to share, and we would start to hear the amazing things God was doing in somebody's life that week to the point where we had had some serious worship. We had stopped a few times and prayed for people who were struggling through different things, and all of a sudden, I was recognizing in that knuckle-headed high school mind of mine that didn't always understand everything, but I started to piece together, man, there's something really powerful about hearing what God is doing in the lives of others. And there's something really powerful when we stop for that hurting person and pray right then and right there in that moment, and we lift them up, and we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we weep with those who weep, and we participate as the body. And I remember on those days, Rick would get up, our pastor, after all this time, after all this sharing, and we'd been at it for a while, And he would get up and say, you know, I don't really have anything to say that's going to be better than what God's already said to us this morning. It's not necessary for me to impose my ego and my muck on this to try to mess it all up. God's already spoken to us this morning. And the body gathered together and the body encouraged each other on to better works. And I still remember how formative those things were in my life. A generation that had seen what God was doing in the life of another generation that spurred me on to not want to give up on meeting together, not want to give up on the church like so many of my friends were and have, but to press on towards understanding what it's really all about, what it's really there for, and what God is really calling us to be. And so I don't think that we are called to give up on meeting together. I think it's extremely important. And I love the fact that this morning, even though we are apart, There is another part of our body that's out at a campground this morning talking about a very similar thing based out of Exodus 12. And they are sharing in communion this morning and providing space and time as they sit in a circle in camp chairs to share what God's been doing in their lives. And we're talking about the same things, though we're apart, and we're spurring one another on and hopefully encouraging one another. And I hope that we never miss an opportunity to share what God's doing in our hearts and our lives. I don't want us to just sit and listen to Nick and consume and walk back out the door and not having a meaningful conversation that pushes us towards better works, that pushes us towards a deeper relationship because I am encouraged by what could be in my own life because I see what's happening in yours. And if all of us continue on through the, kind of like Justin said, that, that lack of expectation of what God can do, We don't really believe that God is actually going to do anything in our hearts and lives. We don't believe that there's something big that the Holy Spirit could do through us. It's actually what we're going to start talking about next week, our need and desperate need to depend on the Holy Spirit to accomplish any of this. He's the mortar that makes all of these building blocks stick together, and without him we can accomplish none of it. And we're going to talk about that same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that is alive and working in us. Or is it? Because if we're not seeking and drawing near to him, are we going to feel that power of that presence? Are we going to see transformative work start to take place? And I don't want us to miss out on those opportunities, but I want us to remember that whenever we see good fruit being produced, when we actually have that dwelling up in our lives, we're like that little kid who just saw a cool new movie who wants to tell his uncle all about it. 
We're like that little kid who's got some exciting new toy and they got to show it off. You have to see what my God did this week. He is incredible. He's the only one who could take credit for this. There's nothing I could have done to accomplish this on my own. He is good. And we want to celebrate him. Not so that it can all be about me and what I did this week, but so that it can be about what God has been accomplishing through me because I listened. And when we meet together in that way, we press one another, we push one another on towards better things. I want to share in this last thing. This is the verse in your bulletin, and I would encourage you to maybe put it somewhere as a reminder. Psalm chapter 71, it's right there in your bulletin. You can look at it there. You want to save some page turning. It starts in verse 15. Psalm 71, 15. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day. For their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth, you have taught me. And I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. God's calling us to share what he's doing in our lives. And if he's not doing in our lives, he's calling us to hit our knees and seek him in such a way that we start to become transformed. And so this morning I want us to stand and I want us to press on towards sharing those good deeds and sharing what it is he's accomplished in our lives. I want us to cling on to that understanding that our heart should be that as the psalmist. I want to share the good deeds of my God. They're more numerous than I could ever count, and I want people to know how wonderful he is. I want to celebrate, I want to rejoice, and I want to share. Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for the fact that you created us to be a people who share in community, that sit around that table together talking and sharing in memories of how God has worked, and where we gather together and break bread in a way that pushes us towards something bigger and better that allows us to realize we can't just sit back and enjoy the meal or sit back and enjoy our ticket and wait for that opportunity to see you face to face but that you're calling us to engage in your work here and now and so father i pray that you would continue to help us spur one another along to be the body that encourages one another like you've called us to do the body that meets together and remembers your good works And I pray that we would be strengthened through our relationship with each other and our relationship with you. I love you. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.